This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Well, good morning, everybody. It's Friday, the 15th of December today, and my last Teachers Talk Radio show before the Christmas break. We have got more shows through next week, uh, but for me, this is my last one of 2023. And what a year it has been. It actually came up on my memories this week that it's been one year since I've been a host with Teachers Talk Radio. So very, very grateful to still be going strong a year later and it wouldn't be possible without all of my amazing guests. So I just want to start with a huge shout out to all the guests who've come on my show and all the guests still to come. We've got loads more lined up for you in 2024. And just to all our Teachers Talk Radio listeners, because without you, it wouldn't be possible. Um, Also, a huge shout out to the Teachers Talk Radio team. It was very sweet uh, to receive a gingerbread teddy bear this week to celebrate a million downloads on our radio station. I mean, that's so many downloads. And again, thanks to everyone who's been listening in live or downloading our show. Uh, That's what it's about, sharing knowledge, sharing people's voices. And so I am very, very grateful from everyone who listens in to our show and to all of our amazing Teachers Talk radio shows from all of our amazing hosts. So yeah, I'm just starting the show with a bit of a thank you. I can see I've already got lots of you listening in. Morning, David. Morning, Marie. Uh, Morning, everybody who's listening online. I can't see your names unless you're on the Podbean app. Um, But welcome everyone to this rather frosty Friday, but at least it's Friday. Uh, Oh, thanks, Marie. Morning, morning. very excited today. We have got a guest who is going to be joining us shortly, Dr. Sarah Wall, and we're going to be talking about um, disabilities and what that means specifically for parents and carers who are having to um, support people with disabilities and how this can have an impact in our wider circles. Uh, But just while we wait for Dr. Sarah to join us, If you are listening live, then do remember if you're on the Podbean app, you can type using the little text field. If you've got any questions for my guest, you can type them in there as well um, and I can ask Sarah your questions. If you're listening through the radio, unfortunately there isn't a a question box, but maybe a chance for you to jump over onto the free Podbean app and, uh, and get involved. And if you're listening back, Well, I hope maybe it might even be your Christmas holidays by now and you're enjoying a little bit of space and time um, to relax. But just while we wait for our guest, how has this week been for you? I feel like, I'm not sure about you, I keep saying to myself, oh, you know, this week is really busy, next week will be easier, and then the next week comes (laughs) and it's another busy one, and then the next week comes and it's another busy one, but let's hope as we're finally approaching Christmas um, that hopefully many of us will be getting a little bit of space and time that we can ring fence even if it's only a day or even if it's only a a couple of hours to hopefully rest and restore ourselves um, after what has been quite a busy year. I almost can't believe it's December. I feel like where did where did the time go this year? It must be a sign we're having fun that has gone so quickly. Um, I wonder what the highlights have been for you. Uh, we had our fusion Christmas party earlier this week. And in in that space, we were asking what were some of our highlights from the year. And 
obviously key highlight for me is coming here to Teachers Talk Radio uh, and getting to engage with you. But I wonder what your highlights might have been. And um, again, if you want to uh, share any of your highlights, then feel free to get involved and share those with me in the Podbean studio. Um, I guess the, the question is also, what are the plans for the new year? And I know that we should also not try and um, put too much pressure on ourselves to set unmanageable goals. I did read something once that said, don't set New Year's resolutions <laughs> because you're just putting more pressure on yourself. So perhaps it's not about not about setting resolutions, but maybe just reflecting on how things have been this year. And when we think what those highlights were, can we aim to do more of those things in the coming months? And maybe if we reflect on what, what the low areas were of this year, then actually how can we aim to avoid some of those areas and spaces as we go forward? But certainly, maybe we don't need to set New Year's resolutions in order to have uh, a good year ahead. Maybe it's just more about thinking, what are those positive daily habits um, that we can use? What are those small little kind of glimmers? And I know that's the thing we see come around a lot on social media, you know, the opposite of a trigger is a glimmer. What are those little glimmers we can look for in our um, in our day-to-day life? And I think that's another thing really going forward for me. It's not about setting these big goals. It's actually just enjoying the present and enjoying um you know those those small moments and taking it one day at a time I'm certainly not always very good at that I am always thinking of the next big exciting thing but sometimes the real joy is found when we just take it one day at a time um and hopefully we'll be asking our guests today about um maybe some things that they have planned for the coming 12 months as well So let's see if our guest is hopefully arriving in the studio soon. Uh, I can see lots of you joining us here. Morning, James, who's listening in. Um, And hopefully we've got a very special guest, Dr. Sarah Wall, who will be joining us very, very soon as well. Um, I wonder if any of you have got any snow today. I heard rumours that there might be snow coming this weekend. Um, I'm off to see... Father Christmas tomorrow. I'm hoping that I'm going to be on the good list. Um, and well, I'll let you know what he says after I see him tomorrow. <laughs> um, but yeah, I wonder if you have got any nice things you're hoping for this Christmas. Certainly my children have been um, asking for a few unusual gifts and I'm hoping that they'll be on the good list. Um, and uh, Again, I can't believe it's it's really not that long to go. I think someone said um, that it's only 10 days till Christmas. I'm not sure if that's correct. Um, I'm just going to check out and help our guest with logging in. Oh, James has told us it's hot in Australia today. James, I can't imagine that, uh, that you're out there somewhere wearing maybe shorts and flip-flops. I cannot accept that as I sit here with a jumper and a scarf and <laughs> fur boots. <laughs> But you enjoy, enjoy that today, James. Um, and what I'll do just while I step out to uh, help our guests, I'm just going to start by playing the news. So sit back and relax. Uh, and here is our six minute news item for today's show. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. 
Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Bet UK is empowering the everyday wins. Cheeky grins. <laughs> Big conversations. Budding aspirations. Our goal? To make EdTech accessible and teaching exceptional. Join the global education community on the 24th to the 26th of January 2024 as we make education better together. Ticket off your Christmas list today. Get your free ticket before the 13th of December deadline. Visit www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The inquest into the death of head teacher Ruth Perry has ruled that an Ofsted inspection contributed because it lacked fairness, respect and sensitivity and was, at times, rude and intimidating. These are the comments from the senior coroner Heidi Connor, as reported on the BBC News website. Mrs Connor went on to express concern about the impact the inspection system can have on school leaders. This is the first time Ofsted has been listed as a contributing factor in the death of a head teacher. The coroner also issued a prevention of future death notice, a report that aims to stop similar situations arising again. Anyone who gets such a notice has 56 days to say what they plan to do to mitigate the chances of deaths happening. Education unions, Ofsted Chief Inspector Amanda Spielman and Education Secretary Gillian Keegan have all released statements following the inquest. These can be found across media outlets. A statement by Mrs Perry's sister, Professor Julia Waters, made it clear that this situation must never be allowed to happen again, but that Ruth was a much more than a victim. She was a sister, a wife and a mother. The Programme for International Student Assessment, or PISA, has released its latest findings. Making the headlines amongst the data was a figure of 11% of teens in the UK who were skipping or missing a meal at least once a week as a result of poverty. The average was 8%, although it rose to 13% in the USA and to 19% in Turkey. The report makes the link between missing meals and less effective learning. Every four years, PISA compares 15-year-olds reading, science and maths levels across 81 countries. The director of the project described the UK as being in a fairly good spot, with improvements in reading and maths, although there was a decline in science. Amongst the four home nations, England performed the highest across all three subjects, although the average maths score fell for all UK nations. The gap in results between UK nations has widened, with Wales recording its worst results so far, according to the BBC. The Welsh Education Minister said COVID-19 had derailed improvement. Northern Ireland scored higher than Scotland in maths and science, but Scotland did better in reading. The wellbeing survey is the first of its kind, 
with the head of research expressing surprise that so many pupils in a supposedly wealthy country are missing meals due to food poverty. Another survey, this time by the British Council, has also seen its results released. They asked just over 2,000 pupils at the end of their first year of secondary from across the UK about modern foreign languages. The results showed that only 20% planned to study a language at GCSE. The numbers of pupils taking modern foreign languages has been in decline in recent years. Whilst 73% of those taking part in the survey said children should have the chance to learn the language, and 46% said they enjoyed language learning, more than one in four said that they did not plan to take the subject at GCSE level or beyond. Nearly nine out of ten said they did not think it was very likely that language would be necessary for their future career. Finally, writer and poet Benjamin Zephaniah passed away on the 7th of December at the age of 65. He had been diagnosed with a brain tumour eight weeks ago. Zephaniah had 14 poetry collections and five novels published over the years. He openly discussed his difficulties with learning to read and write, leaving school at 13 and his diagnosis of dyslexia. His first book was published in 1980 and he described himself as an angry young man who had an outlet through writing. He said that using writing as expression had saved his life. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Welcome back, everybody. Um, a lot going on in the news there, lots of really important stories. Um, and also, Benjamin Zephaniah, such a shame to hear um, about him dying. My son actually read his poem, Talking Turkeys, in his Christmas service this week, and it just felt extra poignant, you know, really to not just celebrate Christmas, but celebrate such an amazing poet as well um so lots to think about in the news and the good news is that while the news is playing our guest is here good morning Sarah <laughs> I saw you, you can hear me. me I can hear you it's a Christmas miracle Yay. <laughs> hallelujah <laughs> how are you Sarah are you okay I'm very good now I've managed to uh, get around the technology yes um yeah absolutely fine now yay well don't worry you know we always have a bit of a niggle in our technology but you're here and that's all that matters <laughs> so welcome welcome um and welcome Thank everyone you. else who uh, joined in the meantime I can see Lucy's here good morning um so lots of people listening in and so without further ado uh, Sarah just to explain we played the news while we waited for you to enter our studio so we've just got the next kind of 45 minutes to snuggle in and have a chat if that's okay that's fabulous thank you so much for asking me it's, it's brilliant it's wonderful uh so for everyone who's just joining us i am very excited to announce our special guest today is dr sarah wall uh sarah is joining us today from anglia ruskin university but she is so many things and has so much experience i think um it serves me best just to hand over to dr sarah to maybe maybe to begin sarah are you happy to just talk us through your education journey uh, from start to now, is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. So I started out my life um, in uh, a middle school as a pupil myself. And I had this amazing teacher called Mavis, who was a drama teacher. And she spoke fluent French. 
and she was uh, just an amazing human being and had really, really long hair that she could sit on. And when I was nine, that was that was who I was going to be. <laughs> I, I aspired to be Mavis. And so I went through my school career and uh, became a teacher. That's what I wanted to do. I never, ever wanted to do anything else, really. Um, and I started in middle school. Um, I worked with children there with special educational needs and disabilities um, and became a SENCO um, because I became so interested in that area. Um, and then I particularly became interested in some of our children and young people who have behaviour that challenges. Um, I say that that way round uh, on purpose rather than uh, challenging behaviour. Um, because I do believe that their behaviour uh, is what challenges us uh, rather than the other way round. Um, and so then I decided I wanted to really, really specialise in that area. And I became a specialist teacher for social emotional uh, behaviour difficulties, it was called then, um, now social emotional and mental health. And yeah, I've never looked back really um, from from there because then I it became my life. I, I really mm -hmm. you know focused upon it and and then ended up where I am now, uh, which is lecturing um, at Anglia Ruskin. I also do some work for the University of Birmingham, um, mm -hmm. and I do some work for external universities up and down the country, really. Um, and been lucky to been asked to talk, you know, in some really interesting places uh, too. So yeah. Wonderful. And here on Teachers Talk Radio as well. <laughs> and here, absolutely. The we're so happy you're here. What a nice way to end our year. You're, you're my last guest of the year, Sarah, so I'm super excited. I'm your Christmas present. <laughs> yeah, you are. You Honestly, when I saw you enter the studio this morning, that's me done. I don't need anything else. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for sharing that. And that sounds a really interesting journey. And thank you, Mavis. I mean, I hope Mavis is listening. <laughs> I hope you're out Mavis there, Mavis. Mavis is quite old now, but she's still there. She's still, yeah, she's on Facebook. So yeah, she's... Uh, Love this. Yeah. She's keeping up with the trends, of course. And hopefully she's still got her amazing long hair. Um, maybe we can just pick up there a bit about your postgrad study, because as I say, you are Dr. Sarah. Um, what, was, what was your dissertation? What was your thesis on, Sarah? So when I was a specialist teacher, I became really interested in a very small group of children who all of the usual strategies that we apply to children who have what was then called behaviour difficulties um, and emotional difficulties and social difficulties, they weren't working. You know, I'd go into school and I'd say, right, OK, I've been given this list of stuff from, you know, my, my line manager or whoever it was I got it from. Um, even even put those in place, haven't you? What's happened? And they'd say, well, it's not working. And I'd say things like, well, have you actually let it run for, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks? Yeah, absolutely, we have. And it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, why? Why is this not working? Why is the normal stuff not working? And so I then became really interested in kind of children who were adopted or had foster parents um, and met another really inspirational person he was called Bob and he was enormous and he was like <laughs> six foot something tall um, and he was a social worker um, and he worked with adopted families and he said Sarah this is why it's not working it's because the strategies that you're using are the wrong strategies you need to change what you're going in and, and telling people and I was like okay right okay 
Um, and so I became really interested in, in trauma-informed practice, basically. And my, my PhD um, work was all around working with children and young people who um, have had significant trauma, um, are either still with their birth parents or are fostered or adopted, and um, looking at working with a significant adult, so a key adult, a key person in school who can make the difference. Um, and what I found was that, yeah, these people really can make the difference. And uh, there was one, again, my life is full of really inspirational people, um, and there was one particular teaching assistant who worked with an amazing uh, young man who had reactive attachment disorder. Um, he was also later diagnosed with uh, autism spectrum uh, disorder as well. So he had both of those conditions. And just turned him around with the work that she did uh, from, a, from a trauma-informed uh, perspective over the year. And yeah, that, that was what wow. my PhD was. Wow, that sounds just so valuable and insightful. I imagine that was that was a labour of love as well as uh, academic yeah. prowess. Yeah. I, call, I call my my dissertation is my my thesis is my other child because it took me a very very long time to get it. It took me nearly ten years. But Wonderful. I got it. Do you <laughs> I know what? The end. That's I what matters. Exactly, and it's the fact that you finish it. I I don't think it should matter how long it takes. Like becoming doctor is is it you've done it and just huge congratulations to you thank you <laughs> it's wonderful and um yeah really interested to hear about that because obviously I think as you know Sarah one of my three children is adopted and um yeah really really interesting where you look at how in education that is still maybe not fully understood um a quick anecdote I was I was pulled in to talk to my to my child's teacher um earlier this week they said oh um Mrs. Gibson, can we have a quick word? And I said, oh yeah. And they said, we were making Christmas decorations today and um, your child ate the glue stick and we had to fish sequins out of their mouth. And I just looked at them and I was like, okay. And they were like looking at me like I'd have any kind of shock or I was like, yeah. no, like, okay, if you knew what my child's been through, they're eating glue stick. Like they're, they're probably just like self-regulating. Yeah, <laughs> and I just felt like, you know, I just said, okay. And I said, don't worry, I've got a cake in my pocket for you. And we went home, but I was like, yeah. this doesn't shock me. And we need to understand that actually the, these young children or, you know, people at any age with any trauma need to find ways to regulate. And we maybe we're lucky if we don't always understand how those behaviors manifest, you know, I'm lucky I've never felt the need to eat a glue stick, but if that's what my child needed at that time, like, or also sorry, because I know glue sticks are like gold dust in school. <laughs> I was sorry for that. I might have to buy the teacher a glue stick at, at the end of term. <laughs> but no, amazing. I, I would love to read that. Um, I'll have to have a read of your thesis, please, Sarah, sometime. I would love that. If, if you have insomnia, I would suggest <laughs> that, yes. <laughs> um, so the next question, and I think this is a really good one to start with, um, is to really tackle what today's show is all about. So the title we came up with is Associative Disability Discrimination. There are a lot of big words for Friday. Mm -hmm. um, supporting parents and carers. So I was, I was going to ask you really why you're so passionate about this area. I think you've touched on that, but maybe if you could expand and also maybe just briefly, because we'll dig into the, the nitty gritty of it in a minute, but maybe briefly define what does this mean, Associative Disability Discrimination? So I think 
to kind of answer the first bit um, there around why I'm so passionate about it is, you know, you've just mentioned your own family. Um, we're, we're not, um, we, we are an idiosyncratic family ourselves. You know, we, we have had our ups and downs. Um, my daughter is currently um, educated over them at school um, for, for a variety of different reasons. And my husband has also had a disability for um, a considerable amount of time. And that's really why that, I, I, I suppose, in, alongside my interest in, in schools and pupils and children and parents and carers and all of that, um, is why I'm so passionate about this, because... I constantly, as a, as a parent, as a wife, myself, as a person in my own right, come up against things where if you don't fit into the, the norm, and I use that in inverted commas, but you can't see me use, doing that, um, life can be quite tricky. Life can be quite challenging. Um, and so that's why I'm, I'm really passionate about it. And that's why I've got quite interested in the whole kind of uh, legislative side of it as well. Um, but in a nutshell... Associative disability discrimination is where someone is treated unfairly due to their association with someone who has a disability. That is the kind of definition. So it's not the person themselves who has that disability, but they are associated with somebody. So for example, my husband who has a disability, I am associated with him Therefore, that's associated disability discrimination. I see. Wow. So this is really interesting. We've not talked about this on the show before. And I know recently I had the amazing Marie and Beth came on and we talked about being a parent or carer of a child with SCND. But actually to think, what is the discrimination associated with that? And actually to focus on the people around the person with a disability I guess yeah let's let's dig in and you're definitely going to educate me today because I do not know anything about the legislation on this so um yeah let, let's crack on then so I guess my next question what is the legislation that surrounds maybe working with parents or carers in terms of associate discrimination so the main piece of legislation that we have to look at and there's other kind of peripheral stuff like common law duties etc but the main piece of legislation is the Equality Act. Um, and the Equality Act was written in 2010. And basically what that says in terms of schools um, and you know, children and young people, um, it means that schools can't unlawfully discriminate against children or young people because of a number of protected characteristics. So there's age, there's sex, there's race, there's religion or belief, there's sexual orientation, there's gender reassignment, there's maternity or pregnancy, and the final one is disability. Um, and so that's the one we're kind of focusing on today. It's not as simple as that, though. Um, mm -hmm. There's lots of different types of disability discrimination. So there's direct discrimination, there's indirect discrimination, there's discrimination arising from a disability. There's mm -hmm. failure to make reasonable adjustments. There's also harassment and victimisation. Um, and each one of those, I mean, we'd need a show on each of those <laughs> yeah, to kind of explain each one of those and what they all mean in, in the kind of in-depth nitty gritty that the law is. Um, mm -hmm. but, but they are the kind of key areas. Um, 
So on top of that, there's also this level of discrimination based on association. So mm -hmm. all of those things that I've just said to you about sex or race and religion or a disability, mm -hmm. not only do they, they apply to the individual themselves, but they also apply to the people they are associated with. So, I see. So, so maybe, look, can we maybe go back through each of those? You've kind of given us that, that list. Maybe if we go through each and you can just briefly define them for our listeners, is that okay? Um, I can try. Yes. <laughs> so I think um, we had the, the direct disability discrimination. Um, yeah, so direct discrimination is basically where you are, you are disabled yourself and somebody does something um, that discriminates against you mm -hmm. uh, specifically. Um, indirect discrimination is where there is a policy uh, or practice um, where somebody is discriminated against themselves or as a group. It's a policy mm -hmm. criterion or practice. Um, where somebody is, is discriminated against. So, for example, if you have um, a blanket policy that says um, we don't allow, um, I don't know, maybe flexible timetables, for example, that's what indirect discrimination is. Um, and then if you look at um, the next one, which was uh, failure to make reasonable adjustments, so in order to level up the playing field um, with uh, children or young people who have disabilities, you can make reasonable adjustments, you can make changes to things. So for example, children can have extra time, they mm -hmm. can have um, a one-to-one -one support, etc. And that's to ensure equity, mm -hmm. um, parity of education. Discrimination arising from disability is something where you say, for example, if you have to attend lots of um, hospital appointments, mm -hmm. if you are then told, uh, you know, if you were, were a child and you were in a classroom and a teacher then you know, sanctioned you for that, they gave you a detention or they told you off, in, you know, for that, that would be discrimination arising from disability. So it's something that comes as a result of the disability. It's not the disability itself. Mm -hmm. And then there's harassment and victimisation. And harassment would be something like, for example, if a, if a pupil were to be you know, ridiculed in, in front of uh, everybody because of, their, because of a disability. Um, and victimisation becomes where you uh, then kind of, if you speak up about that, and then somebody then comes back at you again and keeps going at you you know that's victimization mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um that they're the kind of definitions in a very very kind of they, they get more complicated <laughs> yeah. very kind of as, as as succinctly as i can put it they are what those six categories are thank you no thank you for, for going for them uh through them for the listeners benefit and my benefit sarah so thank you <laughs> and um yeah you it just really shows you why having legislation is so important doesn't it yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, legislation is great in some ways because we do have the law. But another reason why I'm so passionate about this is that we do have these laws, mm -hmm. um, but people don't always follow them and it's yeah. not always put in place. Um, so, yeah. 
I mean, can you think of any, maybe any kind of landmark cases that have like come to tribunal where, you know, people have, have tested these laws out? I mean, part of the reason why um, the Equality Act was written in the first place um, was because there was a really key piece of, uh, uh, it was a European court ruling actually, um, which was by um, uh, Coleridge versus Attridge Law, it was, if anybody's interested in looking it up and they're like me. <laughs> um, and basically, um, a mother was treated less favourably at work um, because of her association with her disabled child. Um, and she actually claimed she was refused flexible working um, and she experienced abusive and insulting comments from others about herself and her child. Um, and that, wow. was, that was like that was the the landmark case for associative dis, uh, dis, disability discrimination. Um, wow. And as a result of that, that's why um, it was kind of written into um, the discrimination law in the Equality Act. Um, wow. It, you know, unlawful to directly discriminate or harass based on somebody else's characteristics. That's fantastic. So how might this look in school, do you think, Sarah? Well, so if we kind of look at translating those sorts of things into school, um, things like requesting flexible timetables. So, for example, if a child were a young carer and mm -hmm. they had disabled parents or carers, um, that meant that they had to be, you know, their carers in the morning, for example. Perhaps they needed to help them get up, get breakfast, whatever it is. Um, if they then, if you know, if, if they then experience discrimination um, in the in the school, that that would be an example of how that would translate into directly, you know, it's a direct mm -hmm. comparison um, between that you know landmark case that we've just talked about and what is actually discrimination in school. Um, I mean, there there've been loads of um, loads of court cases um, um, and specifically unfortunately in relation to harassment um, oh gosh the the equality and the human rights commission did a, a piece in 2013 um, and they actually came out and said you know treatment of disabled people is you know such treatment as that being harassed etc is, is just commonplace Wow. And they found, you know, that people were ridiculed, people were victimised, you know, it, it's not something that happens rarely. It's something, unfortunately, that does happen quite a lot. Um, you know, and I, I can think back to examples of, you know, where teachers I've known have, have interacted with in, individual children. And that could be termed as harassment or victimization you know um and so yeah it, it's kind of commonplace um and those that, that, ideas of kind of no I was just gonna say that's that's quite worrying isn't it because you think they're working out as commonplace from the people that have actually stood up and said something <laughs> but presumably exactly. on top of all those numbers that we have got recorded Absolutely. there are people that haven't spoken up so actually yeah. it's probably even a bigger problem than we know absolutely i mean there's there's i mean it's not you know i'm not talking directly about schools here for example but you know we know in employment law for example the number of people that go to tribunal 
um, is much, much reduced from the number of people who have issues and who raise those issues. And then things are worked out between the people, the employers and the, the employees, mm -hmm. either at, you know, stages pre-tribunal in terms of a payout or in terms of um, coming to some arrangement, shall we say, um, you know, that, that happens a lot. So you're absolutely right. For every one that comes to tribunal, um, there will probably be another 10 that, yeah. that don't. Um, and and in that, that kind of power imbalance is quite interesting, isn't it? Because as an adult, you feel like you've, you've almost got quite a lot of power but when we talk about children, that's a that's a or young people, you know, that's a that's another another matter, isn't it? You know, so yeah. definitely, and and I think that's why you know we need to make sure that we've got people in charge who are really having that inclusive approach. Like like when you when you mentioned you know about attendance and things, I know one thing I noticed in my children's school letter, you know that the weekly newsletter that comes out, um, they get um, an attendance for the class. So they've worked out how often everyone came in that week in that class and they have like a leaderboard, but there is, there's a disclaimer at the bottom that says there are some children that need, you know, frequent medical appointments and their statistics aren't included in the class attendance total so you know just so those children aren't worrying about you know not being able to attend when mm. their health comes first <laughs> so I think there are there are some schools that I think are more receptive and more you know supportive and respectful but that's the yeah. problem is it? it's, it's a wide societal issue I guess yeah yeah absolutely I mean it, you know I as a specialist teacher myself going I had I had the, the honour of going round an awful lot of schools, you know, I'm, I, I wasn't mm -hmm. a specialist teacher where I live now, as it, was, it was up in the north, but, you know, you can walk into a school almost and you can get a feel for an ethos of a school, you know, you know, mm -hmm. you can kind oh, of Oh yeah, sense, you know. <laughs> you can sense whether that school is an inclusive school or not, and there are, you know, for, for, you know, for every school that isn't, there's also a school that is marvelous and mm -hmm. you know I, I had the, the my, my daughter's own primary school and the, the, the primary school that my husband taught in was just amazing it was wow. a, it was a tiny tiny school in the lake district and uh, when I first started as a specialist teacher there there were 28 children in that school in the whole school there were 28 wow and wow it, yeah <laughs> and it had such an amazing feel it was like just one big happy family um but unfortunately they were victims of their own success because by the time I left a few years later the school had oh it had only doubled so it was still only 56 or something wow <laughs> but, um but it just it was such a caring such a nurturing such a it was just amazing you know and you just got that feel as as soon as you walked into that to that place you know they they could do this stuff you know it, it was part and parcel of their makeup really um so, but yeah, i mean 28 in the in the in. Sorry, 28 in in the school sorry sorry like there's more than yeah. that in every class now yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, no, how did that even so how did they did they like group did they have year groups or did they yeah group them? yeah yeah they had uh, a nursery they had um then a key stage one and a key stage two Oh, so you just kind of split them into two classes? Uh, three. I think oh, three, nurse, including the nursery. The nursery, was separate, including yeah, the nursery was separate. Wow. And so how many staff work there? 
Sorry, I know this is um, off not topic. Many. <laughs> um, not many. Um, I mean, by the time it became 56, that's how my husband got a job. So he was employed there as well. But um, I'm, try- I'm trying to count now. One, two. Probably four staff and the head. And then wow, teaching assistants or so. It was a very, I mean, very small. I've heard of small school. schools where, you know, it's year one and two combined, but I've never heard of yep. key stage one and <laughs> key stage two. Yeah, it wow. was amazing. And, but, the, the, you know, the differences that you can see in a school like that as opposed to a very, very big school where you've mm-hmm. got, you know, three form entry and stuff. Um, yeah, it, it, it really creates that kind of family family feel wow do you, do you know that place. if that school is still surely it can't still be that small now it must have doubled yeah. tripled oh, it's I, still I, that I small don't know. i haven't been i haven't <laughs> but i can't imagine it because it doesn't have capacity to build too much but they did amazing things like they'd go up mountains and play football on the top of it you know you know it was a real it was real kind wow. of outdoor learning stuff they'd go out all of their art lessons there would be sheep in the field bleating you know uh, in the nursery wow. children sounds like a fairy tale Sarah <laughs> it, I know it was a bit of a fairy tale yes it was it was an amazing amazing school amazing thank you for sharing that with us um right so let's jump into my next question so thank you for going going through all of that so the next question I've got then um and we've kind of touched on it a bit but what types of reasonable adjustments can be made? Uh, what are some of the other kind of reasonable adjustments we can make for these protected characteristics? So, so really, um, the law for disability um, and in the Equality Act uh, differs from the other protected characteristics. And, and one way that it differs is that it actually only protects people who are disabled. So schools can treat individuals with disabilities differently to those who don't share their protected characteristics so it it's you know often and you have to be really careful with the language so sometimes people use the use the word more favorably um we're not treating individuals more favorably what we're doing by giving them these extra um the extra support is leveling up that playing field so it can be anything basically you know Mm -hmm. at the end of the day a reasonable adjustment um can be anything that's that supports the child and so i mean the best way of finding out what's going to support the child is by talking to the child talking Mm -hmm. to the parents talking to the carers um you'd be amazed actually probably the number of schools that I'd go into and I'd say to them so if you ask you know what what's the child say about what would support them and they'd go we we haven't asked them wow don't you think you want to start there (laughs) you know as a specialist teacher going in um you know so there are you know obviously that's just you know not everywhere's like that but but I did come across those sorts of things so having those conversations with pupils with with parents with carers is Mm -hmm. absolutely the right place to start and if they say something's going to help them then you know putting those things in place uh, would be you know the most sensible thing but I mean there's 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 general things like giving extra times in time in exams for example providing Mm -hmm. accessible resources um, adjustment of behavior policies is a is a big one in my kind of field Um, Mm -hmm. you know and all that kind of one-to-one 
support um, anything that's going to support them to achieve that kind of um, equity of, of, of experience. And schools are very used to doing those sorts of things. So it's the kind of um, other things when we're talking about associative disability that we need to then kind of widen it. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't specifically say the legislation at the moment, although things are always evolving, so I, it might do in time, um, but the requirement to uh, make reasonable adjustments for associative disability doesn't actually, it's not there in, in the legislation, but it does say that it's discriminatory to treat people less favourably because of their association um, with those who have a disability. So that kind of gets around that bit of legislation. Um, mm -hmm. And it also does make it very clear um, that you're not allowed to, to treat somebody less favorably um, in consequence of disability. Um, and that doesn't have to be that individual themselves. So for example, again, you know, if a parent, for example, needs to attend lots and lots of hospital appointments and you can't get childcare, and so you have to take your child with you, if that child was then treated unfavorably because of that, that could essentially be discriminatory. But there's I a see. lot of, it's a real gray area, um, mm -hmm. and there's, 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 there's not so much case law around these sorts of things, because people just don't know about it, you know, in, you know yourself and I didn't, you know, about mm -hmm. you know, a couple of years ago. Um, I knew nothing about the idea of associative disability. You know, as far as I was concerned, it was solely about the individual. So, but I expect that, you know, as more and more kind of cases come through, mm -hmm. we'll find that, you know, more, more things um, happen, you know, and that those, they, they will be tribunals that, that show that people have been discriminated against. Goodness. And I mean, when we're striving for this more personalised approach to learning, like, that's what we need, isn't it, to be more receptive? But, I mean, do, do you think, is funding an issue? I know funding's a problem in schools. Does does that make it harder for schools to provide these reasonable adjustments? Or or what's your view on that? Um, well, actually, legislatively, funding isn't, an, it's not a grounds that you can use, because sometimes you can have um, grounds for not putting in place reasonable adjustments. Um but but funding isn't one of the money isn't one of those okay um, and so there is an element yes um but again you know as a specialist teacher having that luxury of going in i could ask questions like okay well where's this bit of this funding gone um and again you know it's about where that money's used and how that money's used for individuals so you know i knew that the and it comes from the top you know, if you've got a, a, a head teacher who is absolutely, you know, focused on disability and looking after their individual children, you know, and they allocate all that funding uh, precisely, etc., um, then it tends to be that the provision is is better. You know, but I have been in schools where some of that funding kind of is, you know, used. In, in other areas for other things um, and mm -hmm. that's where we kind of get we get issues um, but equally you know we do know that children do need support but it's but it's not always about putting 
one-to-one supporting. It's not always reasonable adjustments that cost money. You know, so those things like you've just you've just mentioned about the attendance thing, that doesn't cost anything. Yeah. Um, so sometimes it's about putting in place reasonable adjustments that don't don't cost any money. And and the key word is reasonable. That's if, if it went to tribunal, that's what they'd be looking at. Uh, you know, if there was an argument um, between you know the school and the, the parents and or carers, then it would come down to what is reasonable. So they wouldn't expect you to, you know, a school to put in one-to-one full-time support if the if it wasn't financially reasonable okay. necessarily. Um, so that that's the that's the test is in terms of in terms of reasonable adjustments. It's that word reasonable. And reasonable. and so on that note, I guess my last kind of, of point on this question then: Are there ever are there ever situations where even when reasonable adjustments are made? that you know that that it's still not enough i guess like i suppose Um, yeah well sometimes i mean i mean off you know we often have children who are in mainstream school for example um where you know you've yeah you've put in because the reasonable needs to be reasonable for that school so therefore there will perhaps be cases where all the reasonable adjustments have been tried, um, mm-hmm. but actually, you know, that child just needs a, some a, a different environment, and so that's where we have our fabulous special schools and up and down the country who come into to play. You know, where a child is then educated in, in a special school, um, mm-hmm. and equally, you know, going on from special school as well. You know, sometimes it doesn't work in a special school, so children might go to a go to a residential school um you know we have some fabulous trauma-informed um for example um schools up and down residential schools up and down the country who provide for our you know our our children with extremely high needs Um, and there also might be other circumstances why individuals might need to go to residential schools so um for example you know i've worked with with uh, young people who who just need to be taken out of their community, um, and that and that's one way of, of doing that to ensure their safety, you know, as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah re- really interesting. And I guess it's back to to what you were saying earlier that that's why, firstly, the person themselves is key, but also the parent or carer is key because they they're the other person that knows them best, aren't they? And I know I see we've got Lucy listening in today, who's a big advocate of home learning as well you know when actually the the institutions we've built aren't enough as well and actually it needs to be the child educated in their own home so it's all about the the parent and care and you know knowing what's best so I guess that leads that leads very nicely Sarah on my next question um what does best practice tell us about working with parents or carers okay so I just really want to put this shocking statistic in to start with um because there is an, enorm- an enormous amount of brilliant practice up and down the country, um, I don't doubt. But in terms of special educational needs and disabilities, which is kind of what we're talking with, even that itself, you know, the, the individual child themselves. Mm-hmm. In 2022, there were 13,658 tribunals brought against schools and local authorities. And that was, you know, wow. that was that doesn't even touch upon 
discrimination by association. And out, out of those, I was absolutely shocked by this statistic. 96% of those were won by parents and carers. Wow. It cost the taxpayer £60 million. Pounds. What does 96 96% <laughs> yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it tells us that out there, there are thousands and thousands. And I, you know, I've met these parents, you know, and I've met these carers, you know, up and down the country who, and I can actually say I am also one of them because I am having great difficulty um, with this whole education other than at school issue with my own daughter. Um, you know, it's just, yeah, that's just an amazing statistic so that tells us that you know there are lots and lots and lots of parents and carers that mm -hmm. we are not serving very well um yeah that is so that is listen, i think it comes down absolutely to that kind of you know listening um listening to to individuals but you know and that's just disability and an associative disability discrimination isn't even known about and it's not talked about it's not talked about in workplaces, let alone in, in schools or local authorities. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, schools need to consider that kind of bigger picture. They need to consider the individual in the school, but they also need to consider the parents, the carers, um, you know, looking at policy revisions. You know, they've got to look at all of those in the light of things like disability discrimination and associative disability discrimination. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, they, they kind of have to look at whether they're being, whether they've got, it's a legal term, but it's, it's called objective evidence. And that's the test as, as to whether something's discriminatory or not. Um, and so to look at things, you know, look at situations and say, you know, have we got the evidence to say that we're not being discriminatory? Have we mm -hmm. got policies that aren't kind of blanket policies like we don't allow flexi schooling or we don't allow long term online tuition or you can't have a flexible timetable? Mm -hmm. Those kind of things, because all of those could ultimately be deemed to be discriminatory. I mean, that's that, that's indirect discrimination. Um, and you, they, what schools need to look at is kind of, the, again, these kind of legal terms like proportionality and legitimate aims, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and whether there's a, a way that things can be achieved differently, you know. Um, you know, we, you've just talked about home education. I've talked about education other than at school. So often the norm is to send your child to school. And I think that we need to start to look at actually that's not the case because if you look again if you look at legislation in the education act of 1996 nowhere does it say that you have to be educated in inside a school mm -hmm. you know and we just don't we don't look more and we don't look enough at what suits the individual let alone what suits the individual and their family yeah. You know, and so schools really need to start kind of engaging, you know, with parents and having these discussions with them and being open to, to change and being open to, to trying things. Um, I mean, there's a fabulous thing that um, I came across when I was working at uh, Northampton University of Northampton, the AV1 robot. I don't know if you've heard of it. 
No, um, I don't. Tell us about it. Well, it's so it's Essex County Council use it as their wholly for their hospital and home tuition service. Um, and basically, it's this little robot. It literally is what it says. And it's like, it's like I can't really describe. You know, like, um, you know, the little um, marshmallowy type things in Frozen. You know, those. Little, oh, yeah. The little snow, the little snow glees. Snow glees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Looks a bit like one of those. Cute. And, and it sits on the desk and basically it becomes the child. So the child takes this robot from, can take it from class to class or whatever if they're at secondary school, or it sits on the table. And by the powers of the internet, you know, the child is literally inside this, this robot and they can interact and, and they can do their online learning and things like that. So there are amazing things out there to facilitate wow those sorts of interactions those sorts of ways of educating um but it's like schools need to be uh to, to be more open uh, some of them um to to some of those kind of um ways of working definitely oh you've given us so so many good kind of little nuggets of ideas as well and i think just putting on people's radars that we need to think of those. It reminds me of, you know, Bronfenbrenner's old socio-ecological model with the baby in the middle and then those layers of people. And actually, it's about not forgetting that who's in those layers, isn't it? Yeah, the parents absolutely. and carers. Each, and Yeah, absolutely. All of those. Yeah, and, you know, that, that Bronfenbrenner goes even further, doesn't it? You know, you know so, you know, who who's influenced? Because actually, that's a really good point, Poppy, because associative disability doesn't stop at parents and carers because there's the idea of how close that association is as well. So there have okay. been some cases where it's not just about that immediate environment as well, because it's a test of like, uh, you know, the association as well. So, yeah. So it's thoughtful. Minefield. Well, it is a minefield. And I suppose just, just a sad thing from that statistic, I think you said 13,600 and something tribunals. The fact that these parents or carers who must already be at capacity, you know, supporting their loved ones who have SEND of varying degrees are then having to go through the stress of a tribunal just seems so wrong, doesn't it? Yeah, like, absolutely. we need to do better than that. We shouldn't be getting to that point that people yeah. are needing tribunals. Like, let's absolutely. let's try and not do that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It is just that mindset of, of not having like, it's very schools are very rule based you know we have this rule we have you know we, we must do this and everybody must do the same um and it you know we've just got to get out of that mindset because not everybody's the same you know we're not you know not every child's the same not every family's the same um yeah and it does cause enormous stress um for, for, for parents and for, for children themselves you know as well you know yeah, exactly. And that's why, yes, just thank you. I'm, so we've got two minutes to go. I just want to thank you for actually just coming on and opening up these conversations and educating me as well, because that's what we need, isn't it? Just to talk more openly about these more difficult, more uncomfortable parts of being human and not being afraid to look at solutions together, isn't it? Absolutely. You're very welcome. I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> we have loved it. We have loved it. So Sarah, in the final minute, I've just got two more questions, but they're, they're not about big topics. Okay. Um, <laughs> I just wonder briefly, what, what's something you're looking forward to in the new year, Sarah? Oh, gosh, that's a hard one. Um, oh, I don't know, Poppy. That's probably the hardest question you've asked <laughs> oh, no. time. 
Um, a holiday. Um, no, Yay. Um, yeah, well, I've got, I have got a holiday booked. but um, oh, Where yeah, are you going? Um, tell us, tell us. Well, not soon. I'm going to Italy, but it's not till. That's a way off. Uh, oh, beautiful. Year. The best yeah, food, the yeah. best ice cream. Yum. Yeah, I haven't been to Italy before. Um, oh, where are you going? I've kind of passed through, but I've never really spent any time there. So. Do, you, do you know wh- where you're going? Which city? Or? Uh, it's about two hours from Rome. Um, beautiful it's called it's a very little and quite unknown um part of italy i believe so oh that's the best get off the beach i'm sure i get i I do lots of holidays so i'm sure i'll get another one in before that as well i did think about going to australia for two months and forget the sun summer sunshine because i don't really like winter anymore but (laughs) oh wow well we actually had james on at the start of the show saying that it was hot in australia so (laughs) even this time of year yeah i'm not I'm not a fan of the cold. It must be my age. <laughs> you're a fan of it. You're a sun worshiper, are you, Sarah? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Lovely. And final question. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch with you or contact you, is there anywhere they can connect with you, uh, such as LinkedIn, for example? Um, yeah, well, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on uh, Twitter. Um, contact me at Anglia Ruskin via email. Um, yeah, absolutely. Just, yeah. Fantastic. Those ways. That's wonderful. Oh, Sarah, it just remains for me and from all our listeners to say thank you so much for giving up your time on a Friday and just to wish you a very Merry Christmas. And yourself. Have a lovely time, Poppy. And thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Sarah. And so glad we got to have this chat today. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. And to, to everyone else listening, thank you for joining live today. I can see loads of you here in the studio and online. Morning West, I can see you've just joined us from America. Um, I wish you all a really amazing break. This is my last show until January. So signing off officially at the end of an amazing year. Don't worry, I will be around on uh, on X and Insta. So come join me there. But just wishing you all an amazing Christmas break. Uh, make some time for you. It's not selfish. It's essential. So please do it, even if it's just a hot chocolate with squirty cream, which I'm going to go and get right now after the show. Uh, But wishing you all the best and I'll be back with you in January. Take care. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.